Writing your seats, you can open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere around you. And this morning's passage will be on the screen and also is found on page 1039 in the Pew Bibles. Um, it is pure joy to welcome you to 2018, right? Um, Happy New Year to you all. Uh, if you didn't notice last week, if you were not here, uh, Jen and I weren't here. We were uh, away celebrating uh, her birthday and ringing in the new year. And uh, on that trip, we learned a couple of things, uh, really reestablished some things that were uh, long-standing patterns in our marriage. One is that I'm still a really good dancer, so we rang in the new year, and uh, <laughs> It's been a while since we cut a rug, but uh, I still got it, so uh, in case you were wondering. Uh, and the second is, uh, I'm a pure idealist at heart, so um, we sat down like many of you. Uh, New Year's Day, we were in a coffee shop, and we were uh, just talking about what do we want to see happen in the new year, and um, her vision of the new year um, surrounded fun and activities, and mine pretty much was changing my life, um, changing everything about me, changing um, this city, changing the church, changing the whole world. And so um, that form of idealism made for a a funny contrast between us, and then um, my idealism met um, just this arctic blizzard that pretty much just... um, ransacked our city over the last week and I came home and we didn't have any hot water and uh, we had a couple of pipes that were ruptured and busted and so my idealism went out the window. Um, But I still believe in looking out to the future to be able to um, have perspective. I mean that's that's the only way that we're going to be able to accomplish certain things. All of life is filled with scenarios in which we look forward to something to help give us perspective in the present. So if you are uh, an engaged couple here, I don't know if Nathan and Savannah are here, um, it is the vision of their wedding day that will sustain them over the next couple of months as they live out their engagement. If you are a student and you are overwhelmed with homework, um, sometimes it's just making it through the day to the end of the day. Sometimes it's waiting for summer or vacation. Sometimes it's waiting for graduation. But it's those pictures that help us to have perspective. Um, even in the business world, it's, it's, you're looking for the next promotion. You're looking for the next thing that can kind of get you through um, ultimately We all have pictures of the future that are meant to help give us perspective um, in the present. And God is kind to us in the fact that he does not want us to be uninformed about the future. Revelation is this beautiful book of the future of the people of God. And and the wonderful message of chapter 19 that we're going to look at is that we are loved And that we are on Jesus' team. And because we are on Jesus' team, that means we win, right? So the ultimate vision that we need to have for 2018 is the fact that we are the loved bride of Jesus Christ. That the mission that he has for us is ultimately unstoppable. And that as we um, look forward to this new year, what we get to live in the good of is that Jesus is our champion. He is our representative. And that's bigger than any difficulty that we're going to face. That's what we're going to look at as we look at Revelation chapter 19. Um, 16th century 
church reformer Martin Luther, he said, I have two days on my calendar, today and that day. And he always said that we need to live today in light of that day. And I think there's some room for us to grow, I think, as the people of God, especially in the church in North America, not just living in the present, not just living for the next milestone, but living for eternity and where we're going to receive the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. And God gives us some rich pictures of that. So that's what we're going to read uh, in Revelation chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles open, would you stand with me if you're able? We're going to read several verses from chapter 19. Revelation 19, verse 1. And I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For His judgments are true and just For he has judged the great prostitute who has corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah for the Lord our God. God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, would you pray with me? Father, I pray that these images and these scenes that you've given us of the future would actually make a difference today. I pray that you would help us to live in the good of both your mercy and your power. I pray that you would help us to labor and rest both in light of this day that's coming. I pray that you would help us to look beyond just the next week or the next month or the next year, but to be able to look forward to the hope that we have in you. I pray that you would strengthen us both individually and as a church, that we would 
allow this vision of Jesus and his love for us and his power on our behalf to produce both endurance and confidence. And I pray that the love that you have for us would not be contained to this room, but it would spread out to this city and to the world. Uh, To do that, we need you to help because this is an academic exercise. We need you to come and rest upon us with your presence. We need your nearness in our hearts. And to do that, we ask that you would just open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see Jesus more clearly and that we would more faithfully represent you as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we can underestimate the reality that God actually wants us to live with security and peace. That he actually has a vision for us as the people of God that we would be able to... um, It's not that we're not going to encounter anxious moments, but that he actually wants to bring us a picture of safety and security and peace. Revelation chapter 19 is a vision of the future that's meant to speak to the present things that you are going through. And those things are as varied as the people that are in this room. But this picture in Revelation chapter 19 is a picture of the beginning of the end. This is a picture of the beginning of the renewal of all things. Don't know what, how everything that you're going through is going to end, but I do know that if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this is the end for you. This is the final scene for us all where we get to encounter God in all of his power, but we also get to experience his love in an unrestrained way when all of the things that are arrayed against us, both our circumstances on the outside and the trouble that exists in our heart on the inside are wiped away forever and we get to finally and forever receive the love of God that we were created for perfectly and finally. The picture um, in Revelation chapter 19, and there's three distinct pictures. The first one that we're going to look at is a victory parade, right? So this picture in verses 1 through 5 is a picture of Jesus as the victor, Jesus as our champion, and that means for us as the people of God that we are victors, right? So, so often in our lives we can be aware of all of the ways that we fall short. We can be aware of our deficiencies. We can be aware of our lack of resources. But God gives us this picture in Revelation chapter 19 to let us know that at the end of the story and at the end of the day, we win. And that's good news for us as the people of God, because if you've encountered any kind of difficulty this week and you have found yourself here and you found yourself in overwhelming circumstances, God wants to speak to you very clearly and very directly that you are a victor, not because of what you have done, but because of who he is and what he has accomplished on our behalf. Revelation chapter 19 is both a picture of the culmination of God's love where he pulls us close and it also is a picture of him vanquishing evil forever. I mean, can you just imagine, just for a second, a world without evil, without sin, without brokenness, without injustice, without racism. This is the final chapter of evil forever. It's being put down finally and forever. 
all of our enemies are being triumphed over. And this in Revelation chapter 19 is a celebration unlike the world has ever known. Every celebration on earth, um, it kind of finds its climax and then it kind of subsides and it wanes. I remember we were celebrating New Year's and probably like many of you, we were trying to stay up till midnight and ring in the new year. But I mean, there's just that moment and you get there and there were balloons that kind of fell out of the air on us and we kissed and then we're like, okay, happy new year. And we went up to our room and that's, that's the end of it, right? All celebrations, they, they find their fulfillment in their climax. But this is a celebration that will, that it will go on forever and ever. And the way that this celebration can have power is that we begin not just to anticipate this celebration, but we enter into the celebration of Jesus' victory right now, right? Celebration now in light of what he's done and what he's going to do actually brings us hope and it actually builds into us purpose and rest and perseverance. The beauty of following Jesus is that the best is always yet to come for us. Right? This is not the end of the story. No matter what you are facing here this morning, God is present to say the best is yet to come. So several times when it's just a minor momentary trial for me this week, I didn't actually know how all of those things were going to end up, but there were several times when, when Jen said, I, you know, what are we going to do? I said, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I know this all ends in this huge victory parade where we're celebrating Jesus. And uh, in some ways, that just really helped. And what I think God wants to do for us, particularly as a church in 2018, is I think he wants to build into us a holy confidence. You know, I, I think there is a treasuring of God's word here that's beautiful and it's right and it's true. But there's a way that we can hold the Word of God where it's just kind of like a, a set of encyclopedias, and then there's a way that we can treasure and hold God's Word where it is a steadfast anchor, and it's something that we hold on to. And, and I believe that God just wants to push us forward in actually believing that we're on the winning side, right? I mean, that, that as we um, go forward and we look at things like the Alpha Course where we want to see people that don't know Jesus, that are far off, that have questions, be saved, that actually at the end of the day that God has the resources for us, that we're part of a mission that cannot fail, that His work that is continually going on inside of your life, um, that, that that's going to come to fruition, right? That he wants us to have a confidence that overcomes our apathy and overcomes our discouragement, to know that because Jesus wins, we are victors. So that's what we see um, in verses 1 through 5. I, I want to read, this is the song that we're going to sing, 19 verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice. And I, I love this. This isn't a silent celebration. There was a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. So we're going to be celebrating the victory of God on our behalf over all of our enemies. Verses 1 through 5 describe a victory parade. So I don't know if you've ever been a part of some kind of celebration. I mean, you could think of 
um, the, the celebration in Times Square at the end of World War II. I mean, there was a massive outbreak and cry of rejoicing as uh, the Allied forces overcame the enemies in World War II. Um, you can think more uh, probably realistically about a sports celebration. Do I have any Cleveland sports fans out there? Wow. I'm going to pray for you. No. <laughs> Cleveland, right? So a couple of years ago, 2016, a 50-year sports drought was broken as the Cleveland Cavaliers won the NBA championship. And that was quickly followed up by the Cleveland Browns. So, I mean, I can't help you there. But, there, I mean, that was a celebration unlike that city had ever known. When I think of celebrations, though, and I think that kind of is in the spirit of this celebration, I think of the end of the Return of the Jedi. So, I don't know. Um, that dates me a little bit. So, but the, not the, the new version, but the 1983 version where um, there are people and they're rejoicing and they're dancing with Ewoks and all of that. Like that, that is the, the end of the story where the Empire is defeated. And, and ultimately, like, I remember watching Return of the Jedi probably as like an eight, nine, ten year old kid and um, just being on the edge of my seat as that battle played out, as the empire and darkness was kind of pressing in. But think about how it changed the movie, right? If the ending was at the beginning and you knew how it all was going to end. Well, that's absolutely what God wants us to experience, this idea of his victory on our behalf. This celebration is ushered in by the final judgment of evil, and we can be really uncomfortable with the idea of judgment. And I think many times that's because this is a very abused doctrine. It's one that is misunderstood where people try to use the judgment of God as a kind of a, a tool to scare people into the kingdom of God. Like, I mean, I've heard many, many stories of people that were, um, yeah, just as kids were harassed um, and made to fear the judgment of God. It's not that the judgment of God is not real, but how the judgment of God most often functions in Scripture is a patient and a loving warning for God's enemies. The judgment of God also is put forward um, as a hope for the endurance of the people of God. So I think I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to be making a return trip to the nation of Nepal um, in a couple of weeks here in February. And the Nepali people, the church is less than 1%. They are continually persecuted. They are abused for their faith. And what gives them ultimate comfort that they don't have to retaliate in those situations is the reality that God is the one that brings justice. And there's going to be a day when all of our enemies are put away. And that's what you see in Revelation chapter 19. So um, this doctrine is not meant to be something that scares us into the kingdom, but it also is meant to be a promise that we labor in light of that the darkness that we all encounter on a daily basis is not going to be the end of the story. Next, what we're going to see, let's look at verses 6 through 8. It is a, a wedding feast that's meant to give us perspective, not only of who God is, but in who we are. Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 8. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of many peals of thunder crying out, 
Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Um, What a great picture this is. The idea of us as the people of God being the loved, chosen, and treasured bride of Christ. Um, This idea and this picture of marriage probably is the fullest metaphor that we have of God's covenant, never-ending, never-giving-up love that He has for us. Um, and it's interesting to note that, that God didn't somehow look at human marriage and then say, hey, that's, that's kind of what my love is like, and I'm going to use that as a picture. He actually created marriage to say, this is what my love is like. Ray Ortland in his book, um, The Gospel and the Mystery of Marriage, says the following. He says, the biblical love story begins on a grand scale. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, And the story ends on an even grander scale. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The first cosmos was created as the home of a young couple named Adam and Eve. The new cosmos will be created as the eternal home of the son and his bride. It is not as though marriage is just one theme among others in the Bible. Instead, marriage is the wraparound concept for the entire Bible within which the other themes find their places. So, God gives us this picture in Revelation chapter 19 of us being the bride of Christ. Why does he do that? Because he wants every person in this room to know that when they look at Jesus and they place their faith in him, that you are finally, fully, and forever loved by God. Nothing you can do can take away from that love. Nothing you can do can merit that love. All we can simply do as the people of God is live as the beloved bride of Jesus Christ. That means we receive his love. That means we celebrate his love. That means we give his love away to other people. We get to live right now with this picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb where we as the people of God will be finally and forever loved by God. Now, I mean, it was impossible for me this week to think about Revelation 19 and the wedding supper of the Lamb and not think about my own wedding ceremony. There was uh, a moment where, like, I th- she can correct me if we're wrong. I think we had 10 attendants in our wedding, like on each side. So there was a long train of people coming, and I was like, I'm not sure how long this is going to go. Um, but then there was this moment where the doors were closed, and then a song was playing in the background that talked about the beauty and the bride of Christ. And the doors were open. And although there were 10 attendants here and there were 300 plus people in the audience, there was only one person that caught my attention. And I remember that moment when we locked eyes. I mean, I knew that this was permanent, that this was exclusive, and this was forever. And God gives us this picture in Revelation chapter 19 to say, there's going to be a moment when you personally Lock eyes with Jesus. 
and he's living for that moment and we're meant to live for that moment and in that time it's going to reaffirm to us the reason that we are we were created in that moment you're going to be able to despite all of the difficulties that have happened in your life god's going to say i always knew you looked like this it's this picture that we get from the book of ephesians that we are holy and spotless and blameless. That's meant not to be rushed over, but to soaked into the depths of our hearts and our souls, that we are the loved bride of Christ. And so not only is God going to affirm that for us individually, and this, this is my favorite part as a pastor, is that we get to do this all together. I don't know how this works with all the different churches, not only in this city, but around the world. But there's going to be a moment where we, Fellowship Jonesboro, are going to stand before God together. And you're going to be able to see that every prayer that you prayed made a difference. You're going to be able to see that every act of service, every act of love, every time that you work through a conflict when you didn't feel like it, all of those things were worth it because you're standing before the lover of your soul and it's going to be worth it. This is meant to give us perspective um, in the present. We get to stand before him. This is going to be the wedding to end all weddings. I read uh, online this week that the most expensive wedding in all of history was uh, at least adjusted for uh, inflation was Charles and Diana uh, in the early 1980s at over $110 million, right? I mean, that, may, that wedding <laughs> um, is like, Two little kids playing dress-up in the backyard compared to this wedding. I mean, this is going to be the celebration to end all celebrations. And it's paid for by the blood of the Lamb. All of us are invited. All of us get to receive His love finally and fully forever. He's given us His Spirit as a seal which guarantees our inheritance. When you don't think you're going to make it, you just have to look inside and see the activity of the Holy Spirit living inside of you that draws you towards Jesus. We get to live as the beloved bride of Jesus. So just a simple question this morning. How aware are you of being the beloved bride of Christ? How aware are you of his deep never-ending, never-changing love. Revelation chapter 19 is an invitation to us to take a long look and a long um, time just pondering and exploring the heights and the depths and the width and the breadth of his love. He loves us. But how do we live in the good of this? Well, we're called to prepare for this feast. I mean, there are good deeds that are prepared in advance. That's what it calls the, the, the clothes that we're going to be dressed in. Um, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable of uh, ten unmarried virgins. And five of them are wise and five of them are foolish. The five that are wise, they bring oil for their lamps and they are prepared for the coming of the bridegroom. There are five um, that are kind of presumptuous on the goodness and the kindness of the bridegroom and they don't have any oil. And the invitation for us, and, and this is where I think for us in particular as a church and really a church in the United States of America, is this isn't meant to be like um, some surprise ending for us. 
This isn't supposed to be just kind of like icing on top of the cake and, hey, oh, by the way, we get to do all this fun stuff here, and by the way, we get heaven thrown in at the end. No, this is meant to be the hope. This is meant to be the thing that we intentionally look to and prepare for. When we do that, it gives us perspective about the things that we do in the present. So we're called to prepare for this feast. Um, A major way that we prepare... um, Jesus loved to use this marriage metaphor in Luke chapter 14. It's the parable of the wedding banquet. And there is a father that's throwing um, this elaborate celebration for his son who is getting married. And he asks people to come to this celebration. And I think this has particular relevance for our culture. People one by one say they're too busy to come to this wedding feast. And so... What the father that's throwing the banquet does, he says, okay, I want you to go out into the highways and the byways, and I want you to get the poor and the lame and the outcasts, and I want you to have them come in and to enjoy the feast. And that gives us a a little picture of what God's kingdom is like. And I love that that's our heart as a church to see many people um, that are far off, people that are not normally recognized, come to know and sit at the feet of Jesus. So, A way that we prepare for the coming of the bridegroom is to compel as many people to come in and to enjoy the celebration as possible, right? We don't keep and hoard this all for ourselves. We want to pray. And that's something that, honestly, as a church this year that I believe that God wants us to grow in is is not just this fellowship that we enjoy together, which is wonderful, but it is a love and a confidence that we want to see other people come to know and to enjoy. So I would encourage you this year, in a way that maybe you never have, to pray for our evangelistic outreach. It's something that, that I believe that God is deepening our passion for. I believe he's laid a good gospel foundation for. But at the end of the day, if this is just for us, um, there is value there. But I mean, ultimately, for us to be an effective local church, it means compelling other people to come to know and put their trust in the Lord. Finally, the third picture that's meant to give us hope is this picture of Jesus conquering on a white horse. In verses uh, 11 through 21, there's this picture of Jesus returning on a white horse, and on his thigh is written, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what that means for us is that heaven's champion is our champion now, right? We don't only need pictures of Jesus in his humanity, which are beautiful and valuable that we get from the Gospels, where we see him healing the sick and caring for the poor and feeding the multitudes. We also need a picture of Jesus that's big enough to sustain us in the midst of darkness. And that's what Jesus coming back on a white horse means for us. That he has conquered all of our enemies. This is the part where all of the enemies of God are thrown under his feet. And so that gives us perspective and that gives us endurance in the present so that we know that when we go out into our city 
that injustice and poverty and racism do not win, that we actually have a champion that is our champion now, that there is a whole new world that's coming. And that's what we're going to look at over the next several weeks is this world that Jesus has died to bring about, that we as the people of God are to live in the good of and to labor in light of. So we labor as people who long for reconciliation and we labor as people that long for peace. Um, what, a, what a gift for us to be able to have this picture of Jesus that is going to return. And, and there's echoes of this all over, um, really all over our lives. And, and the one that I think is most applicable to us uh, in, a, in a sports-crazed city like Jonesboro is the idea that we all have, most of us anyway, some kind of favorite sports team that represents us. That's, that's a faint echo of what we're created for. We all want a champion to represent us, right? That's why football and basketball and volleyball and all these things are such a big deal. Because those people with those uniforms on, they represent us. Well, um, regardless of how um, your sports teams have done this year, What's going to happen is there is a champion, right? And I, I, I do that to comfort my own self and my sports idol. Um, but those champions, you know, those championships will come and go, and there'll be another one next year. But the, the reality is this champion is our champion. He has all of the resources that we need, and he's promised to bring about this new world, and he's promised to pour out kindness and blessing and mercy. So as you think about your life in 2018 and maybe the things that God has called you to, I want you to look not at just the lack that you have, but I want you to look in light of eternity and all that God has for us, that we would have um, a confidence. He is our champion. So that means that this is a returning king, He's coming, and he's left us here as his ambassadors, 2 Corinthians 5. We are his emissaries. We are people that live with one foot in the reality of the kingdom that's to come, and we live one foot in this reality of this broken world that we are a part of, and we're meant to labor in light of this goodness and his kindness that are coming one day. We want to be those group of people that look forward in anticipation to his power. So I'm going to close in just a second, but just ask yourself this question. What would it look like for me to be an ambassador of the coming king? What would it look like for me to be an ambassador in my work life? What would it look like for me to be an ambassador as I participate inside of a gospel community? What would it look like for me to be an, an emissary as I go forward this year inside of my home? Um, all of those things are just foretaste of the, the picture that God has for us. He has infinite wisdom, infinite power, infinite might that is available to us as we look forward. We don't have to drum up all of this stuff in our own strength. The way that we know that we're going to make it to the end is that we have a champion that has won and has done everything on our behalf. So in light of that, let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he's our champion. Thank you that he is ruling and reigning. Thank you that we get to live as your bride. Thank you that you've promised to put away evil forever. Not only the evil that's out in the world, but the evil that lives inside of us. 
Um, I pray that the rest of this service would be an exercise of receiving your rule and your reign as our king and receiving your love as our bridegroom. I pray where doubt and fear and anxiety exists, it would be conquered by your love. Where hopelessness has set in, I pray that it would be conquered by the reality of your coming kingdom and your power. Thank you that there is a day coming when we're going to stand before you face to face and we're going to receive your love as your people forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.